Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. Today I'm joined by a guest who, for the first time ever in the history of this show, will remain nameless because it's kind of not about the guests, it's about the guest's phenomenal work as head of home in a secure children's institute. Um, As she will go on to explain, some people will simply refer to that as a children's prison, which I believe is wrong. Um, We'll get into that, but it's a fascinating insight into just what can happen with a little bit of love, a little bit of kindness, patience and understanding and willingness to rehabilitate as opposed to punish. This is a deep one. This is a personal cause of mine, working with young people, the future for all of us, tomorrow's generation who, if we abandon them, are going to see the world into a dark new era. If we work with them, care for them, give them the opportunities as a society that maybe they've missed out on, then things, as my guest today will explain, can be very different. Hello and welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast. My name is Ben Tal and I am your host. Thank you for checking in once more. I hope you've enjoyed the recent run of shows. There's been some good ones. How did you find Kerry Lyons, creative coach? I thought Kerry was fantastic. Very tender, very warm, very genuine, with a life and career story that I think a lot of you uh, responded to. I got a lot of feedback on this one from people who'd either worked with Kerry or just loved what she had to say and resonated with all of that. So check it out if you haven't already. Um, we've got Dan Kieran coming up, writer and co-founder of The Wonderful Unbound. It's a deep one. Dan's story is um, powerful, to say the least. He's a wonderful guy. I've recently met him since moving to Salisbury. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn there in terms of sometimes going against your own grain and breaking out of comfort zones that we might be in, destructive patterns, changing our own narrative. That's a good one too. Big thank you to the founding supporter of this show and continued supporter, Illustration X. Go and take a look at their wide-ranging illustration and animation portfolios over at illustrationx.com or follow them on social, we are Illustration X. They're a fantastic agency representing so many people, including live artists, lettering specialists, people who create murals, people who do live portraits in shops, people who work with uh, charities. It's just, it goes on. I've been with these guys now for over 12 years and they're a wonderful bunch. They've been very supportive of all my side projects. They've brought me work with the work together to keep things on track. They do a lot of great work with the creative industry, so go and take a look at them now. So, crime, criminal justice system, young people. That's the theme of today's episode. Oh. So anyone who's been with me on this show for a while will know how passionate I can get about this topic. We've had episodes in the past, including um, a personal favourite of mine with Young Urban Arts Foundation founder, Kerry O'Brien. So Kerry is a wonderful woman, a true inspiration, a real trailblazer. And as is not uncommon in this field, someone with her own 
backstory that is relevant to where she is now. I mean, we've all got that, right? Okay, that sounds really <laughs> a real simplification. But Kerry has had her troubles in life. And Kerry has channeled those troubles to build this beautiful organisation and to work when funding was cut, when adversity rears its head time and time again to support the young people that she believes in, that, as she said so eloquently, are the, the future of this country. Um, go back and listen to it. I will find the link and stick it in the show notes. But I'm far from done. And that's why I wanted to get somebody who I got to know in Manchester. And the reason I'm not naming her is because in her field of work, there's a lot of shameless media who will look to exploit the work of secure children's institutes because they're messed up and they look for a story. They look for a political story when I see nothing but incredible work happening to ensure that young people who've had very little support in their lives from any adult whatsoever, who've time and time again been excluded from schools, from social circles, who have had no kindness in their lives and have fallen on hard times and have fallen foul of the criminal justice system, um, get the love they deserve. Now, this person's warmth came across when I uh, stumbled upon her on a dog walk and we got talking and the dog, anyone who knows me knows that the dog walk has time and time again thrown up interesting people, many of which have ended up on this show, including Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays. Um, got Dan Kieran coming up, writer and founder of uh, Unbound. Now, Dan has another dog walk encounter and it's it happens time and time again. But this person, we got talking about, you know, young people. We were both parents. We had a lot of uh, investment in the future. You know, what the, the next generation of young people. Now, this person works day in, day out with very, very troubled people with mental health issues, with disabilities, and she does so in such a way that involves creativity and engagement and love and respect, things that there's just not a lot of time for in the education system. Despite amazing teachers, despite the will of all the people working in there, unfortunately, the curriculum they have to work with and the directives which put such a sharp focus on academic intelligence, they do not have the ability to engage on a personal, individual level with young people who need it the most. And I find that really sad. As somebody who had a lot of mischievous intent, had a lot of rambunctious energy as a young man. I could have gone that way. Luckily for me, I had support in the home to ensure that I didn't. I had a lot of love from my friends to ensure that I didn't. And even though I didn't particularly engage with school, I didn't find the, the, the model of education right for me. And I fell foul of a lot of those academic achievements of others that made me feel stupid. I was fine. I had a lot of crutches, I had a lot of scaffolding, a lot of foundations around me to make sure that I didn't go down the wrong track. And despite a couple of little hiccups, I got, you know, caught shoplifting, I got banned from Woolworths in the UK, but petty stuff that really doesn't register. I had my art. I had my creativity. I saw the value of loving the home, of affection from friends and the ability to be able to talk to people on a personal, private level and just let this stuff out. And it breaks my heart that that's not the case. And it has a lot to do with the, the mental health statistics that are just damning and shameful in this country and the suicide rates, which are going up for so many levels. 
And God, you can see why. We're not going to go, well, I'm not going to get too deep into all that because it's not for me to say. But there's a mental health crisis in this country. It's only going to get worse because we have a government that doesn't give a shit. It is a careerist system where staying in power is the only objective of them people, whether they would admit that or not. You've got Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's just been put in charge of the energy and the climate stuff, which is preposterous, a vocal climate denier. It's so messed up. How can anyone see brightness in their future on their horizon when that's going on? It is nothing more than a shameless crusade for profiteering and for personal career ambitions. That's the way the system is constructed. And that filters down. They cut public funding, police, fire service, youth funding, uh, youth services, mental health budgets, all of them raised at a time when we need them more than ever. We need the engagement between police and, and communities. Instead, we have rising rates of knife crime. We have a media who dramatise and demonise the, the kids that are involved in that. Now, don't get me wrong. This is something my guest hits upon today. The crimes of some of these young kids are heinous and there are victims who will never be the same again. But what do we do? Throw away the key and bang them up? It doesn't work like that. That's not how you rehabilitate people. I've always felt that creativity and creative engagement and artistic education has a big, big role to play in the beginning of the rehabilitation of people who arrive at these secure children's units with nothing. Because how, you know, you can't just double down on punishment. You can't just tell them how evil they are and expect anything to change. I read recently, it was in um, Sir Ken Robinson's Out of Our Minds, The Power of Being Creative, that I think it, uh, the story goes that the budget for criminal justice system in the United States dwarfs the education budget. Now, I might be wrong, I'm willing to be corrected on that, but the, the lesson is just so wrong in that, and I just think it's heartbreaking that that's the case. It should be so different. But these things are fucking businesses. It's as simple as that. They are businesses. They are problems that people in political positions of power who are on career crusades want nothing to do with. It's long-term. It requires long-term thinking, institutional transformation. And if the lessons that I hope you guys are going to learn today that I learned from this guest could be shared far and wide, if the methods that are showing great success in turning these people's young people's lives around could be rolled out and work backwards into education. It could be so different, and it's so sad that it's not. But what I heard from my guest today gave me great hope, and I want to continue helping any way that I can young people. Otherwise, we're going to get more cases like poor Chris Cabaret, who was shot recently, unarmed kid, in London, shot. I'm not going to go deep on that because I don't know the ins and outs, but it looks like another case of unaccountability in the law to me. And I just, you know, it's um, it's so wrong and this stuff's only going to get worse. And what do we do? Keep throwing more backlash at it? Keep, you know, up the violence and end up with civil unrest because 
Sadly, that's where it's going if we don't follow the example of some incredible people who I've come across, one of them being Mac Ferrari, who founded Bike Storms. If you're unaware of Bike Storms, I implore you to go and read the story of Mac, and I, am, I really want to get him on this show, and we are in a conversation to make that happen. Um, but Bike Storms is a great example of young people coming together over a common interest, which is biking, and finding some common good finding some engagement, some purpose and some social circles where they are not cast as little fuckers up to no good. Um, Dance United in Bradford. Again, I read about this in Sir Ken Robinson's book, but Dance United is an incredible organisation working with the medium of dance to help young people, again, who've fallen through the cracks in the criminal justice system and the, the results are incredible. Now, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't go you know, let's say, for example, in the case of a lot of the lads, masculine, violent, lost people, you wouldn't think dance. But dance has so many lessons to learn. And I have a guest coming up on the show who's going to take me deeper into that world and explain a little bit more. But again, sometimes it's about engaging the body and the mind of young people and reminding them that they can succeed at something. And that's what Dance United does. Another organisation you should go and look at. Again, I mentioned Kerry and Young Urban Arts Foundation. Fantastic work. I really wish we had a society that wasn't capitalist that could roll this stuff out en masse because I think in a matter of years, maybe even months if it was done properly, you would see such a massive drop-off in crime rates. Just this morning, at the time of recording, um, two police officers have been stabbed in London. It's frightening and alarming stuff. Whoever's been hurt, whoever's been stabbed, whoever's been shot, whatever the circumstances, it simply shouldn't be happening, and I don't believe it would. If we all came together and worked for better grassroots love and care and inclusivity and recreation and creativity. I genuinely believe that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen how young kids who maybe haven't had the best start, who maybe don't have the support in their home or an arm around the shoulder or a friend to turn to can be easily exploited. And that's something my guest is going to talk about today, why these kids go to people who prey on, on their vulnerability and, and, and give them or show them what love might look like when their intentions are anything but caring for these people. And it's so sad. Um, I recently signed a petition and got involved with a campaign based in Manchester, and I don't live in Manchester anymore, I haven't lived in Manchester since last October. And the petition was to save Howen Fields. Now, Howen Fields is free public space, you know, grasslands, um, people birdwatch there, kids hang out there, people play football, they do what they do, hang out in the summer, you know, and, and um, there was a recent Guardian article about the increasing need for our parks to prop themselves up and to fund themselves with private festivals and events that exclude people from going and accessing this free public space. Now, Howen's Fields, uh, there's been a brand new big leisure centre complex built on there. Leisure centres can be great. I love going to leisure centres. But you can't walk in those doors for free anymore. Those leisure centres are not going to fund the kids who no longer have that free space to go and hang out, find out who they are, 
uh, explore their identity and knock about and mess around with their mates and do the things that are crucial when we're young to find our place in society and, in, and, and establish our own identity. That's not going to happen. You know, it doesn't work like that. Privatisation of these spaces just further marginalises kids who already have little to nothing. So when you push them, you know, and then you go into city centres and, and, and uh, my guest and I talk about this on the pod today, but, you know, you can't walk in places. Libraries are under threat. Cost you three quid to go and buy a coffee. All these kids don't have three quid. There's a cost of living crisis right now. You know, um, the rates of many crimes are rising, but, what you know, when you think, oh, you know, why is someone shoplifting? Why is someone... Ah, if you go into their lives and there's absolutely nothing and they have to rob to eat, that's the reality in a country this rich and it's absolutely heartbreaking. You know, again, at the time of recording, the ban on fracking is about to be lifted. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that one, but just look up the stats and the value of fracking. It's not good. There's no valid reason for doing that. It's going to take us years to see the benefits. So the whole thing about the Russian... Oh, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But you get the point. It's about private money and it's about perpetuating wealth for those who've already swimming in wealth. Uh, it's, it's a tough one, this. I don't want to do this kind of episode. Trust me, I don't want to do this. I would love to just sit and talk to illustrators and artists about cool projects. I wish I lived in that world still. But when you know this stuff, it's hard not to go there. Um, I think back to playing out, I'm going to do an episode specifically on playing out. It's coming up soon. Because I think there's so much to be said about the learning of soft skills that serve us well in our careers and in our general lives help us to be adaptable, to, to problem solve, to resolve disputes. We learn this stuff when we hang out as kids in these free spaces. You know, not all of us were born into good families who are going to take us out and, and, and teach us and do these things. <sighs> ah, heavy going, heavy weather. But I'm going to leave it to my guest to tell more about this stuff because she's awesome. And I had such a great chat with her. Um, thank you again to Illustration X for supporting the show. I really want some feedback on this one. Please come at me. I'm up for arguments. I'm up for debate. I'm up for contradictory opinions. But I really hope you'll agree with me that there's a lot of work that can be done with creativity and young people. Young, lost people who've been abandoned. And it's really sad. Um, but there we have it. It's a good one. Enjoy it. I'm a head of whole uh, based at one of our many uh, children's secure units uh, around the country. Uh, I work at one that's based in the northwest. Uh, basically what we do, we work with young people who have found themselves, uh, for whatever reason, uh, involved in crime and are either on remand or have been sentenced for their crimes. Uh, what we tend to work with, the age group we work with, is anything from 10 through to 18. Uh, and it can sometimes go above 18, but usually stays within that age frame. Uh, and it predominantly works from kind of 12 through to 16, uh, the bracket that we work with. Uh, and we work with young people and children from all over the country. Uh, they come far and wide. Uh, and they're usually deemed quite vulnerable young people uh, that we work with. I think <laughs> they say that they're vulnerable, but I think any child is vulnerable <laughs> mm. uh, anyway. So uh, 
but there is kind of a certain threshold of kind of the young person we take. So we predominantly work with young people that have kind of got various needs, whether it be mental health, learning disabilities, uh, that kind of thing. So, so basically here we have uh, five units, all with young people based on them units. It's very much like a, a home. It's a secure children's home. So although the young people can't go out uh, and they're secure, they can. They have access to lots of things within this building. Uh, the rooms are really nice. They have lots of positive things within that, which some people probably listening to this would struggle with because they think, well, if someone's committed a crime, then they should uh, sh- should be met with kind of punishment. But that's not not that's not how we work. Mm. Uh, we don't tend to get the best out of young people or turn young people's behaviours around if that's how, how how we meet it, really. So yeah. yeah a brief outline of what I do. So within my building, like I say, we, we have a residential section, which is the day-to-day care, overall kind of mum and dad role. Uh, we have mental health. So we have psychologists, education psychologists, uh, doctors, nurses coming in. Uh, we have education provision so we have a school on site uh, so the young people attend school as they would in a normal working day uh, we have an intervention section which is basically uh, during the week depending on what crime the young person's committed they'll have intensive sessions where they kind of tackle certain areas of work with them uh, whether it be knife crime uh, robbery you know everything uh, mm. sexual offences that type of thing uh, and that's all in one building so we find ourselves quite lucky because we have got everything all under one roof mm. that sounds like a really good setup and um something i'll kind of want to ask you about at some point maybe a little bit later in the chat about the kind of cross-pollination of different specialisms and people's roles within it which i guess is important um that everyone communicates clearly and knows you know what's going on because like you say vulnerability is is part and parcel of being young but particularly people who've maybe had a rough start or come from you know not a great home setup not the guidance that some of us might have been fortunate enough to have or as you say there disabilities mental health problems there's a there's a whole raft of things going on which i guess there's a lot of people that can have input on that positive input in terms of helping them you know um in many ways i guess so how did you get into it? What's your? Because uh, I, uh, I don't think I ever asked so you. I think my back my background was always kind of I've always been very sporty and active, uh, so I was kind of involved in sports development and things within the community. My dad, uh, my dad ran a local community. Uh, he set up a, a football club in the local area, which was a you know a not an area that was struggling. Uh, a lots of poverty. Uh, but my dad kind of was the chairman of the football club for about 25 years within that area. So I was kind of brought up with my dad having kind of an open door policy, you know, with regards to young people who were playing football turning up. He was, you know, kids that couldn't really afford football boots and things like that. My dad would go out of his way to kind of do charity, charity things to raise some money and kind of always grew up around that there is another backstory that my dad was also adopted uh so i think i that always played a part in the back of my mind that how well my dad my dad had done considering he'd had kind of childhood adversities mm. uh, so I, i've always had like a deep-rooted passion to kind of 
I'm a bit, it's probably why I'm a Salford fan as well, because I'm a bit of an, an underdog type person. I really like power to the people. Uh, so I've always felt like that. So I th- from a very kind of early age, I wanted to kind of work with young people. So I started off advocating. So I worked with like a children's rights advocacy on a voluntary basis. So I'd go and kind of go and work with young people where I'd, I'd take them out, uh, you know, to the cinema, engage with them. And I mean, at that time, I was really young as well. So I probably didn't really know what I was doing, but it was kind of just keep them busy enjoy the time and it kind of built from there then I started doing some mentoring within schools and some sports development work uh, and then from there I kind of looked at the residential social work side so that's kind of my background so I kind of went into residential care which was a big eye-opener uh, just you know just looking at you know how, how children can live and be treated and poverty and you know I can't even begin to tell you some of the stories and some of the, you know, that I came into contact from a very early, very early age, really. And it's everything's come from that. So it's it's just been a gradual progression uh, that I've kind of ended up in this role. But I'm a real, uh, very, probably a lot different to our people in this role because obviously it's quite like a, it's almost like a, a child's prison that people people's view on this place would be oh it's a it's a prison for children but it's not it's a it's a secure children's home and i think what I, what I do quite well is it's the care and the the love and the just doing all the things that they probably never they've never experienced uh, so lots lots of empathy yeah. lots of support lots of honesty mm-hmm. uh, no no fibbing no you know no kind of hiding behind things or making excuses and uh so that's kind of why i've ended up where i've ended up which is quite strange because i've ended up with three i've got three boys of my own and i also look after boys but i think them skills then transfer you know being a parent and a role model is is uh it's just a transferable skill really so i find the job quite easy yeah, well, it is, and I mean, and I don't know you well. You know, we only we we, we see each other. You see each other on the, on the dog walk in Manchester, and that's where these conversations started to happen. And I learned about what you do. But there's a tangible warmth about you. You know, you 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 come across as quite an assertive, but a caring person. And when we had our chats about your work and about my own, you know, point of view, because I've done little bits of work around mental health and creativity. So you know, these things tie tie in together in a in a in a more peripheral way. But it comes across, and I, and I guess you have to be to a degree. I mean, you know, you don't, as you said there, a lot of these young people, um, everything that I've seen, whether it was kids I grew up with who didn't have the support that I had or the care at home, they were no different to me. They had the same young, boisterous energy. They had the same curiosity and the same, you know, lust for life that teenagers tend to have it's just that it didn't have any parameters there's no guardrails there was and that and that you know the care that you mentioned there and the vulnerability seeing that vulnerability in adults it's interesting that you mentioned sport because rugby league was one of my first things rugby league and football clubs at amateur level it was my first interactions with adults that didn't feel like my school teachers or my parents so suddenly I can ask this grown-up person this question or I might hear them telling a story, at, you know, about the pub at the weekend and stuff. And suddenly there's an affinity there. So I guess there's something really important in your role 
to that degree that maybe these young people haven't encountered those adults and you might be the first person that they encounter that actually gives a, uh, I won't swear, but, uh, you know, gives a damn um, or wants to talk to them in a, in a respectful manner. Yeah, that- I think I think the thing the key is as well. My background, not saying like you know, like my, I had great parents and great upbringing, very fortunate. But you know, the area that I lived in wasn't great. The opportunities within that area weren't great. But you know, I, I'm not nothing again. I'm I'm kind of quite salt of the earth. I've got a real real. I'm a hardworking character. I'm, I'm very you know. If I I think I'm very resilient, and I have like a a real kind of crack, get on it, get on with it, let's go and crack on. And I think with the young people that we work with here, that's that's really key, uh, you know, because it is difficult because, you know, if I was in the pub now with my friends and something came on the TV regarding a certain crime, my opinion about that crime probably would be very, very similar to my, my friends and whoever I was with at the time. But what's kind of skew with is my moral compass is completely flipped. So when I'm actually working with these young people and you get the background story, you get the understanding, that sits completely differently. And and in no way does it affect my kind of delivery of what work or care that I give, which for some, they will probably find that quite difficult. Uh, But yeah, there's a real, uh, you have to kind of shut shut certain things off you know but it, it comes quite easy easy for me and but I think that's because we see such great outcomes with the kids that we work with as well I think like what you're saying it, it goes as far as I mean even before these children are born like this little seed that's planted they're already fighting they're already fighting you know parents who you know alcohol drugs so even before the born, there's all sorts of stuff going on there and then the bomb and then it's like you know everything they they have to battle every day for everything that we take for granted there's lots and lots of like kind of hourly daily battles that these kids face so you know the trauma you know the early childhood trauma that these young people you know have come into contact with is is unbelievable so i'm not excusing the behavior because you know that's wrong but it's it's not it's not a surprise it's not it's not and it's my and this is why i'm hoping you can sort of give me more of an inside input but um i think you know when that's when there's that battle going on like you said there pre pre pre-birth and then in the home and there's the lack of whatever it might be, tenderness, support, um, then society really has a responsibility to sort of put the thing, put the structures and the systems in place so that there are opportunities to get it elsewhere. And I think they're sorely lacking. I think they're sorely lacking on a street level. You know, if you look at the, let's think of a, a kid now from a working class background who maybe lives on a council state. You go out, it's like you can't buy, you know, you can't go in an indoor space without, paying what fiver for four yeah. quid for a coffee five quid into a, a gym or a when i was a kid growing up and, it, and it, you know the same problems were there but this was the 80s there was a lot more kind of unbuilt on land so there would be wrecks and grounds where you could hang out and you could play out and i think that's where you learn a lot of soft skills you learn to resolve disputes and you learn to spend time with people you might not want to be around older kids younger kids different kids it's really important 
life lessons going on. You know, I just, I have recently been part of this petition, even that I don't live in Manchester anymore, to stop how Enfield's being built on with a brand new, like, all singing, all dancing leisure centre. Don't get me wrong, leisure centres are great, but that's recreational, free ground for people to hang out on. And the more that stuff gets pulled away and the more it's not there in society, the harder it becomes, I think, for young people to kind of meet like-minded people or learn those life lessons. Yeah, and I think it's all, it's, it's, it's like the basics. It's about space. As well, if you feel confined and kind of held into a certain space without being able to breathe or, it, you know, the nature and everything, the smells, the sights, the noises, you know, then when we used to walk the dog in the morning, that little woodland at the back there, it's just a fabulous experience. Some of these kids have never, ever experienced anything like that. So one of the factors that we have here where we, 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 are, we have an area where it's we have flowers, we have wildlife, we have a pond. We really, you know, because it's all about the senses. It's all about that kind of open space. Nature, being at one with kind of nature is so holistic. It's so good for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. So if you, you get an, if you get an estate and it's rampant with flats and houses and there's, there's a, like a 20-metre space from house to house across the road where you can, a, a child can play, then that's going to just create and exacerbate behaviours. I'm not saying that's going to happen all the time, but, you know, we all want to spread our wings and fly a little bit. And, you know, that's what kind of is not happening in these areas with these kids. Yeah. Well, well, that's it. Yeah. And and because of that, you know, it's a self-fulfilling thing, isn't it? You know, you... It then your worldview is narrowed and and the people you tend to either look up for or seek validation from tend to be... The older kids who are maybe already caught up in this trouble, and this is how these the kind of gang cultures form and stuff. And it becomes a they're looking, they're always looking for the love and the belonging. And when that's not found, like you say, in the home or in society or in education, then it becomes there's more there's more and more risk. Like you say, it's not always going to happen, but there's more and more risk, and the chances become greater that they are going to be vulnerable to, to predators who, whether it's county lines or whatever it might be, people who can exploit that that lack of love, you know. And that's why I think it's so wrong. You you hit upon it early on there with the like the recreational stuff, and it's always boiled my blood when people take that attitude of, oh, somebody's done wrong. Like you know, why should they have something nice? It's like, hang on a minute. With I think that's applicable. I think it should be the same with adults, but especially with kids. You don't. You only get one result, in my opinion, if you come down hard and you and you sort of just go with punishment, yeah, it's, not, it's not rehabilitation. Basic, yeah, it's basics. It's if. If you if someone treats you if your boss treats you nasty tomorrow, then how can juices of that to you delivering good work? It's just not going to happen. And it's like it's the same with everything. If someone's if someone's nasty to you, it's very hard to not be nasty back. And it's like if you shout at someone, the chances are they're going to shout back. So actually, if you t- if you flip that on its head, and you're actually so a lot. Of, you know the young people that we get in here they're quite aggressive they're angry they're frustrated they, you know they're, they're not happy with the circumstances that whatever you know but actually if you meet that with something different than what they've been used to which is don't meet fire with fire meet that with understanding meet that with kind of some sympathy uh, meet that with resolve meet that with some kind of well what can we do to help you from not feeling like that and then you work through kind of their triggers and their behavior management so yeah. You know, when they leave here, you know, I've just had a young lad who's exactly the same. He, he came in, he was, you know, every other word was kind of, 
who he, he, he wants to do this to, who he wants to hurt. You know, if someone did this to me on here, I'd just do this. And it, mm-hmm. You know, and I was quite honest with him. So, you, you know, you make me really sad listening to you. I said, you're a child. Life is not about be I said, and that makes me worry for my family that might go out and might bump into you. Well, no, I wouldn't do that. To, well, how would you know? Because you're saying this is how you feel and this is how you are. You can't differentiate between, oh, I won't do it to that person, I'll do it to that person, because you're quite happily to say to me, I'm free will doing that. But actually, we've done some great pieces of work with this young person. And now he's kind of like, kind. He doesn't talk about his his kind of gang affiliation and his life as that was, you know, that, you know, it will drop in there every now and again. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of that bravado, that kind of macho, I'm um, older than me time has gone. And yeah. he's actually been able to be a child. And it's quite, it's, that's what's rewarding about my job. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't do that with a great, you don't, you don't get that with aggression, do you? And, and doubling down on what's already gone on. Because it's fear. It comes from a place of fear. Aggression is always in those, especially in those circumstances, is always the, you know, it's the lack of the tools to understand what's at play. And therefore, it's going the other way, and it's responding almost animalistically or instinctively, you know, which which we would all do had we not been taught at some point in our lives how to kind of think about that in a broader broader manner and approach it differently. So that's you know that's why I think there's great uh, value in the work you do and taking a different approach. And and it's not about oh you know they've got a games console they shouldn't be playing on fun things. It's not it's not about that. It's the way I see it is no different to when I walked into art college and suddenly I've got you know, all different tools and people to talk to. And I can actually express myself in a different way. And I can learn a bit more about me by by experimenting with these different tools. Not only that, but it gives you context to talk to another person and express feelings. And and surely that's how you start to just bring something different out of them and, and show them a different way rather than just giving them a fun thing. Be, you know, it's, it's never it's that. It's not much. about that. I think, yeah, like you say, it's about building relationships and how you form them relationships and sometimes you've just got to give a little bit to get a little you know get a lot more back so actually being on a games console but if a, if a member of staff sat with that young person while they were, that is probably the biggest time of engagement although the but they will probably talk inadvertently without knowing mm. it's a bit like when i worked in the community kind of any disc, most disclosures that i probably ever had came from being in a car so yeah. You know, the young person's not sat direct. I'm not interviewing them. I'm not directly asking them questions. They're just sat at the side of me, just like, you know, passing time. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that, that comfort, that kind of casual comfort rather than it being forced is, is quite, you know, that has better outcomes than it would ever kind yeah. of sitting down for kind of some formal assessments and things like that. And people, what people need to remember is things like games consoles, when you've got young people that have got, you know, various levels of learning needs and, you know, autism, you know, some of these games are absolutely fabulous for kind of, you know, these games are probably the only time when they're able to kind of relax. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it is all done on a, don't get me wrong, they don't just come in and get games and it's all, Mary yeah. Poppins. Uh, <laughs> there is the, the I've got to do certain, you know, they've got to give a little bit to get 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 stuff back. So it isn't kind of, but I think it's kind of quick, very very quickly. They realise that you know going so going to school for instance, most of these boys have never been to school. 
Uh, you know, or they dropped out. School's a big problem. Uh, education's probably one of the big things that needs to probably be reviewed. Uh, but they come here, these boys, and they very quickly get on board with the education. They get up every day. They attend. Uh, and they do really well in school because they're like sponges. These boys, they're just desperate to to learn. And, you know, we have artwork. We have an arts teacher. We have... Uh, we have a woodwork room, we have bricklaying, we have uh, a sports hall where they can play foot, you know, football. We've got like a, a mini, little mini gym. We have a little, you know, all bits of stuff that will keep the kids engaged. We have, you know, a science science room, all yeah. the things that you can imagine, but on a smaller scale. And very quickly, uh, due to the, the, the small sizes of the classes, and the, the ability the teachers have to be able to engage more on a kind of one-to-one individual basis. Uh, these young people thrive uh, yeah. very quickly. And from that, then, they, they, they get the rewards within the care because they'll get the game console, they'll get the activities. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, we do all sorts. We do, you know, the boys do independent work. They cook. They can be cooking themselves. They can... You know, we get them to iron their own iron clothes, wash the clothes, and yeah. we do gardening. We do, you know, at the minute I've got a young lad who's kind of, uh, he's kind of put a piece of work together. We've got a, like a small garden area with a little fishing pond in it, which is kind of, he's gone away and done some research about kind of what plants would be best in there. Because we, we do a lot of cooking. Uh, we're looking to plant some foods that we can use uh, on a daily basis with our cooking. Uh, uh, that that came out of I took my staff team to the RHS that's just been built nearby oh, yeah. so I took them there and we went on like a health and well-being because you know it's a big thing with the staff they do take it is draining uh, it's, it's an emotional emotionally draining job as you know more than anything uh, so we did have a day out there and that was fantastic you know uh, so some of the ideas we got from that day out we brought back so we've got a lot of the lads using some of the, you know, growing their own potatoes, strawberries, onions, and using, you know, using them every day for, you know, daily cooking tasks. So, it- I think that's wonderful. If I had my way, I think the, I think they should work backwards. That the education system should be very close to what you've just described. And I believe that if it was, you'd see far few, far, far fewer young people turning up where you are because i just think that they would find more ways you know it, within within that biosphere of everything you've described there you learn so much about yourself about what you might be interested in about what skills you might have about what does it for you or what environments you like being in and i just think um you know the whole it was in a i don't know if you've ever read any, like ken robinson or um seeing his ted talk but he what yeah he always he always advocated like reforming education so that there was a lot more creativity at every level not just arts but every level as in uh, more time for individual learning and 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 working with kids personalities and uh, and more artistic expression and things like that and he described it he said we can't meet the needs of the 21st century with an education system that's rooted in the 19th and and it's, you know, as in everyone sat equally equidistant, 40 minute lessons, shuffled from lesson to lesson. That's all about getting people into university and academic success. But there's so many other forms of success and intelligence in life that are just not cared for in that education system. Yeah, I agree. And I think what we did is, I think 
everyone did have this idea that it kind of needed to be reinvented, but instead they went the other way and they followed the American way, which is kind of like these big super schools. So we've gone from kind of everything being very community-based. So i.e. you'd have your community estate, you know, which would have its own doctors, its own dentist, its own primary school. The primary school would feed through to the high school. Now we've got completely the opposite way. So we've got, you know, these mass schools with with kids with multiple kind of needs. You know, I know that with my own boys, you know, mm-hmm. I've got, you know, I've got one lad who's really switched on and assertive and he will go get and he will, he'll need very little support. Whereas I've got my me, me older one who he just, he will sit in the background and go unnoticed and he's got lots of talent, but because he's kind of in the, he sits in the middle band, you know, and that's, it's just quite sad. Whereas if you had, it just makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if you've got a class of 30, 30 children and five of them are quite unruly, there's, there's 25 other kids as well that are going to, going to suffer. And yeah. it's, and then, you know, they break that down and very quickly they'll have like a hub uh, where they'll do some work, uh, you know, and that, that can be positive. It could, you know, it can work sometimes. You can quickly turn them young people around. But then when it doesn't work, schools are quite quickly then to move them off and then they'll kind of expel them and then they'll send them to a sister yeah. school and then they'll put them in a group with five other kids that have come from that school that are problematic. Yeah. Teaching numbers don't change. The level of, and it's, yeah. And what tends to happen then? Yeah, I would, I would pretty much put, you know, put money on the fact that probably every single one of the young people I have in this building wasn't in full time education. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that old thing of like, well, oh, you know, maybe they'd be good at building. So we'll shook them to building. And don't get me wrong construction's an amazing trade i've been writing in this book about the creativity involved with that and friends who i've got in that industry but the fact that it's still a default thing that they oh you know we'll send them to something that's seen as lesser rather than got rather than having a system like you've described there where it's like well okay maybe their particular language is not maths and english but how about we try them with gardening or, or we put them in environmental sport and see how they express themselves in that language it's crazy that that's not just a basic thing. You know, it's like I I was as mischievous as the rest of them as kids and had a creative mind to do that with. I'm just really thankful that I had parents who kept me on the right track and gave me the right tools to express myself with that. Because otherwise, I could have been up there with the worst of them, you know. it's a, And I have friends who did end up like that. And it's just like, it didn't mean they weren't lovely people and had kind hearts. It's just that they didn't have that adult to kind of go, you know, show them something different. And I think it's a trust thing, isn't it? Because from what you've said there, you know, they're obviously coming from whether it's broken homes or tumultuous backgrounds of some kind. And then it's more and more upheaval, another expulsion and another, you know, moved on to this, that, new place, new town, new... Ah, you need stability and trust. Yeah, it's really... I mean, I, w- I went on a really... I, I had a... I went on some training a few years ago uh, and it was a... He was a police officer based in Liverpool, quite high up he ended up being. And he'd retired and was kind of doing some kind of motivational kind of talking with people about the significance of education. And, you know, he he told a story about a lad. He said, this lad in Liverpool, he said, he was a nightmare. He said, constantly picking him up for theft, robbery, all sorts of crime. He said, and we just used to 
pick him up, throw him in the back of the van, throw him into the police station. Uh, he said, and that was just literally how it, how it went constantly like that. He said, and then this one night, he said, I don't know what happened, but I, I must have been in a really good mood. Or some, he said, I had a personality transplant. And this kind of old police Bobby attitude that he had, he said, right, say, Billy Bob, come on, I'll take you home because I'm sick of going through all this. And he took this young lad home and he walked in the house. There was no carpet. There was no wallpaper. He went in the fridge. There was no food. He said, and it was the most powerful thing that could have happened to him, he said, because then he thought to himself, no wonder this kid's stealing, hanging about with the wrong people who can give him the nice trainers, the nice T-shirt, because he's got nothing. Mm-hmm. He said, and the solace that going to school can give a child, you know, is massive, and I don't think we, I don't think we, uh, education takes enough maybe responsibility. I know it's not just education because it's parents as well, but I think, uh, you know, that that kind of six hour, five six hour window when they go to school, the fact that they can get we get get some food when they're there, they can try different things, and you know, it's massive, isn't it? So if things are bad at home, you've got all that to contend with. Yeah. And then you take away the school. What is the? Mm-hmm. No, well, it's exactly. You're wandering, lost, and let's face it, life is confusing enough for most of us. Let alone, and you know, no input, no, no, like, um, what's the words? You know, authority figures in the best way, in the good way. You know, parents and the teachers. It's the positive, it's one, positive role models. Role models. There we go. That's the one. Yeah. It's funny you should mention that because, you know, the police get a lot of criticism. And I remember, I don't know if this is a thing that still goes on, but I remember in Keithley growing up, there was a, for about three or four years, there was a summer football tournament run by the police. And it was down at the local leisure centre. There was about five or six AstroTurf pitches. And they would take over for two weeks and organise a big football tournament, like seven aside. And you saw all the faces down there, all the troublemakers. But for them two weeks, they were there and they were supporting the mates or they were playing. And they were talking to these coppers as if, you know, not like they were coppers, but just as adults in the community. And it was amazing the transformation you saw with some of these kids. And that's just a very simple device. But I think... Yeah, it's just breaking them, down barriers, isn't it? Yeah, and, and trust. And they've got no trust of adults. And why would they have when, you know, from a background you've just described there? And it's like, by the end of it, they've been, been a part of something. And it's just belonging and and some engagement and a way to get some energy out, you know. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe that copper who's, you know, grabbed a few of my mates or whatever, suddenly he's down here and he's talking to me and he's into football. Oh, okay, he's a human being. It's like it's it's a, you know, it's basic stuff. But when all the public services are squeezed and budgets cut, it's like that stuff doesn't get allowed to happen, and it just gets further and further stripped back, and it just becomes more and more likely that they're not going to find that positive channel. I think I think when I first started working here, uh, one of the biggest things I struggled with, I was put on a a unit that was predominantly kind of sexual offences. Uh, but what I quickly found was these kids had disabilities, mm. and it wasn't. They just I think if people have in, had have intervened at the point that they should have done, they'd have been the victims. Yeah, but because 
things had been left, they then become the perpetrators. And I, I really struggled for a long time because I was thinking, this isn't right that these kids that have, have got very obvious prominent disabilities are having to serve custodial sentences because they're just... Mm. But the more it kind of, the more things went on, I kind of really got my head around the fact that what we were doing, although they've got this, you know, the offence that they did, no excuse, the custodial they got this custodial sentence, but actually they were in the best place for them where they were going to, for the first time in their life, get somebody who's prepared to kind of sit with them and make them understand and care for them to know that what they've been doing is the wrong thing. Because for most, they just, for most, they don't, they don't know it's wrong. It's just no. been normal behaviour. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's the, like any of these crimes, people look at the end result and go, oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah, you know, lock them up. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Yes, the crime is terrible. No one's ever denying that. And of course, the poor people who've had, you know, been on the back end of that, it's it's awful. It's tragic. However, if they don't know that it's wrong, and they've got like disabilities and everything else, it's like at some point they have to be taught that. Otherwise, it's just going to repeat and repeat and get worse and worse for everyone. There's going to be more of that for the victims. And it's like, surely it's better to to foster an environment where like you say for the first time they're taken in and cared for and and taught right and wrong and some really and people overlook that how just how basic some of this stuff is yeah and it's quite quite sad because you know some of them young people who have got the disabilities because of the because you've got to fight tooth and nail for assessments to to kind of get to the bottom and, and a lot of them have got so many complex needs it's very hard to say oh he's got that he's got that he's got that because it can have a multitude but then that's that's difficult as well because it's they don't get the right support and then what can tend to happen is when they get to a certain age when they're adults if they go through from me into adults adult prison uh then they're quite quickly categorized as kind of that mental health mm bracket and that's kind of when they get when they get lost and it, that's quite sad uh you know there's, there's so many sad stories uh yeah so many great stories as well but kind of yeah it, it's really it's really difficult actually i, I mean when i first started I, you know i was going to write to every man and his dog every to say this is wrong you know how can a judge how can a judge possibly be sentencing a child that is very apparently got got is disabled do you know it's it's just it, it took a long time for me to kind of get my head around that uh mm. and i'm better about it now because like i say i do feel like they're in the best place and they do get the the best support the problem is when they move on from me do you that's from what you just said there like, do you um is there a way that you can kind of feed back on the, you know, the, the good things that you notice and the good results that you might get and development from the kids? Is there a way that you can feed that back in terms of, look what's happening when we do this? Why is this not more of a thing in education, society? Uh, it's really difficult, I think. It's, it's, it's like everything kind of, it's, it's hard to measure. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, we have lots of, I mean, we have lots of, young people that I go on to, you know, we they do some great work while they're with us. And what we do is what at the point kind of just before the leaving, they, they get what's called mobility and rattle. So with that, it's kind of like the back end of their sentence. Uh 
they start working towards kind of transition back into the community. Uh, so what we do is we put quite detailed plans together with regards to kind of pathways and how we can support them. So kind of uh, we might get them little bits of job working in a local cafe, a charity shop where they go and help. Uh, and then usually that transfers into kind of where they maybe be going working if they get employment or education when they leave. Uh, so a lot of that's quite measurable. And we have, you know, we have the young people phone up constantly updating us and we keep like progress reports on kind of where they are and how well they're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably, it's probably, probably difficult to see a lot, what, a lot of the young people that we get in because they've missed such big gaps of education. You know, it's almost like the baby steps that they take here are massive steps. So they wouldn't be measured like they probably would be in a mainstream school. Mm. So, you know, a lot of our kids are probably functioning kind of around the six to eight years age bracket. Like, so we almost cater education like primary school. I think that's maybe something that could be looked at with regards to kind of, well, you, you know, don't you, when you're at primary, everything's new. So you're given lots of different things to try and do and everything's exciting and Teachers have got a real big spectrum of kind of activities that they deliver. And then you go to high school and all of a sudden it gets really serious. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's all kind of stay in your lane. This is what boys do. This is what girls do. This is what you can, you know. And then it comes to your options and it gets even yeah. worse. So yeah. actually, I think there's a big thing to be said for kind of staying within that kind of primary lots of things to for kids to kind of the energy the energy you get in education is massive into what it can give you yeah um, it is it's huge and um you're absolutely right it's a crazy it's a fundamental mistake that it gets so rigid and, and uh, linear and it's all about getting someone at the university or college rather than teaching them like soft life skills and you know relationships and being able to integrate and you teach them those things and everything else flourishes, you know, it's, again, I think it's difficult because like you said, it's, it's hard, it's not very tangible, it's hard to measure it in a way that can be put in a spreadsheet or can be proven in data. I've actually got a couple of examples here that I don't know if you're aware of, but there's an organisation called Dance UK in Bradford, have you heard of them? Yes, I have, yeah. Sorry, sorry Dance United, not Dance UK. Um, and it's brilliant. I came across it in Ken Robinson's book and he was looking at the results of um, people in the criminal justice system, young people, you know, and they and it's basically like a program, I don't know, eight weeks or whatever it might be to, to, to learn a, a dance. Again, you get a lot of people going, what? You know, like they've done this and they're going and they're dancing. But what they're learning there is collaboration, is teamwork, is discipline. It's... Um, Expression. It's learning that they can be successful at something and complete something again, you know. So, and actually, the results coming out the other end of it are phenomenal. Some of these people go on to be dancers, but others go in a totally different walk of life, but they're a bit more sure of themselves. They've got a bit more self respect. There's all these transferable skills. And that's what I get when I get on about arts education. It's not about drawing and painting per se, it's about different forms of expression and learning life lessons through these mediums. Yeah, well, we've just had, we've just, so during the kind of, uh, mainstream education we have you know education as you would know it but we also do 
uh, school doesn't stop for the young lads here because we'd like to keep them busy. So we do what's called vocational week. So during the kind of six weeks holidays, we still run a school. It might be a smaller time, but within that, we're kind of a bit more out there thinking. So we'll get different people to come in and deliver. So we've just had uh, a guy come in who's just delivered uh, graffiti art. Brilliant. So we've made some wood benches. Uh, so they've made in woodworks and wood benches. And then the guy who does the graffiti arts come in and the kids have all had a go at kind of graffiti art. And these benches are going to be placed in and around the local area. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so we, we have odd arts that are a local community that come in, uh, that deliver drama workshops. Uh, and like you say, you get these, you get kind of these big, big kind of gangster boys that come in that next minute I've got wigs on and tutus and a yeah. jumping around, jumping around a, a drama room, you know, expressing themselves and probably having fun. A lot of the, the boys, it's, it's about adrenaline. And, and when they, they'll, they'll tell, tell you themselves when they, they're involved in crime and, you know, that adrenaline rush and what that kick that it kind of gives them is, is, is a good high for them. And yeah. if you can kind of, fill that high with another high and express it, you know, then you've cracked it. So it's kind of, they're just not giving them opportunities, you know, like yeah. like me, I love my rugby, you know, I love, you know, I'm, I'm a raving lunatic when I'm stood on that, in that stadium <laughs> and I'm suddenly shouting, but that's my, yeah. that's my. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to give these, you know, we, we have commando joes that come in there like a, an army assault course that comes in. We'll have the fire service come in and deliver. Uh, we do have like sports foundations. We have dance groups that come in and deliver different things. So yeah. the boys are able to try. And like you say, sometimes you forget kind of, you just think, oh, they'll like that and they're not going to like that. And then yeah. they try that and it's like a light's gone on and it's like the best thing in the yeah. world. Well, I'd love to have a further chat with you about that. So, a, I'd, I'd love to to come and deliver and do something there. I've done stuff before, but I'm very passionate about this stuff and my, and, and my art, you know, in that role. But also, I know some other really interesting people who I'll like send you links to the stuff and that. Who, who, who I reckon would be well up for coming in. Like, I've got a close friend of mine, uh, Danny Skerritt. He DJs under Dirty Freud, and he's just played Glastonbury the other year. But he's from like North Holloway, Holloway in London, and he came from a you know a, a Estate back. Yeah, I think I've listened to have you interviewed him before? I have, yeah, yeah. But he he's big on that because you know he saw so many go down that same road of having the, the tough start and getting into the wrong stuff. Whereas he has got all that kind of mischievous energy himself, but he's just been really successful because thankfully for him, his parents equipped him with that musical knowledge and pushed him in the right direction. But for the same reasons, he's very passionate about giving back in that way yeah. as well. So and uh, he's in Manchester working all the time, so maybe I'll Send you yeah, it's great. It's great. The, the the fall down is they'll come to us and we will we will work magic. And like I say, it's not it's not measurable as such. But say for instance, I've had a, a young he came in. He used to hide behind his hair. You'd never even see his face. So kind of one of our targets as a team was before this before this year's out at Christmas at the Christmas because we at Christmas we decorate a sports hall. We make it like a grotto. We have a meet Christmas sit down meal. You know, it's and we kind of made a big deal. Like by Christmas, this boy is going to be on stage singing a Christmas song with the, you know, 
with his tinsel on and all. And by the end of it, he did it. Yeah. And that was massive because he just spent the last six months hiding, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. That's a complete transformation. That's what I think that's incredible. And I think that's so huge and, and way bigger than you could ever comprehend if you'd not had the same struggles as well. Yeah. But I think yeah. That's, it's, I, them, it's them little things. And I think what we do as workers, we take them little things that we do for granted because because we work with them day in, day out. Mm. We forget probably. And so I, I do spend a lot of time with my staff team reminding them just of how good and how important the things they do. And it's I've always said, you know, you're never going to change these kids' lives because, you know, 100%. But if you do one thing that in 10 years' time, that kid does. Yeah. That's phenomenal. I remember I worked with a lad in the community. Uh, I can't remember what he And I, I used to sing a silly song to him about kind of uh, brushing his teeth, like, you know, because he's, per, you know, taking care of himself. And he used to sing like a baby song, but every time he used to open his door, in the, you know, I'd sing this song to him and he'd go, Ugh. and then I saw him probably about 10 years after, just on, in Manchester somewhere, and he let on, and he went, I bloody hate you. He said, I've got a little in now, and every time he doesn't do his tea, he says, I'll sing that song. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it's just them, it's them little things. And I think, I think that's, I think remember someone saying to me years ago, like, don't, don't think you're Mother Teresa when you're going to, you know, you're going to change people's lives. And, but it's all about the, it's all the small things and kindness kindness yeah and if that's lacking from your life entirely when you get it it's bloody huge so it it might be small when you've had a lot of it but it's really not small when you think about it from some of the perspectives of the people who've suffered yeah it it is i'd love you know i'd love i could tell you so many wonderful stories like that uh and i forget because i've just done it for so long but you know yeah but you know cried lots of tears ben yeah. Doing this job as well, you know. Well, I mean, God, I mean, who wouldn't? It's incredible. You see really. lots of boys that you just think to yourself, things could have been with so much potential and so much of a future in front of them. And, mm. you know, when they get sentenced to 15, 16 years at 15 years old, you're just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. There's, um, there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of Bike Storms, but um, it's like when they, they do, it's like a big sort of BMX gathering and they go through London doing all the wheelies and the stunts and stuff. Right. And again, it's another one of them things that people look at it and go, oh, bloody chabs or whatever, you know what, they're getting in the way of traffic. But it's incredible, the story behind that. It's like Mac Ferrari, who, who founded it. I'm desperate to get him on the show. And we met in London a few years ago and he's up for it, but I, just struggle, I keep trying to pin him down and we'll get there. But basically, Mac lost about, over 20 mates murdered like in his like in his younger years through like gang violence and 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 all the rest of it and he made the decision you know that he had he had to stop and he had to turn his life around and and off the back of that he founded bike stars which is this big kind of you know bmx rally through london and it's amazing now you know they've got like support from stan such as an american um skate brand who do all like the socks and stuff and they they sponsor the bike storms gathering they do all kinds of stuff based around it and when we were in, when I did an exhibition based around that identity and uh, 
like uh, creativity through musicians. So all these big personalities who succeeded because of who they were, whether it was Kanye right through to um, Jay Huss, all these grime artists and stuff. We did like a photography and uh, illustration crossover exhibition. Mac came down and he brought a lot of the Bike Storms kids down and he brought them. He asked if he could bring them down for like a private, you know, come and have a chat with me and Andy who'd done the show. And I'll never forget it because I was in there manning the exhibition on my own and it's quite a big basement space where we did it. And I always remember him coming down and saying hello and everything and saying, right, are you ready? I've got some of the kids upstairs. And I was like, yeah, 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 bring them down. That'd be awesome. And I didn't know they were on the bikes. So all like 25 of them or whatever came down on the BMX down the stairs, doing wheelies around the space and everything. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible. And they all stopped at the right time. They all got off. And then Mac was like, can you do a little talk about what this is and what it means? Sat there, listened, good as gold. They all came over asking me questions. And the relationship between Mac and all these, you know, kids who had had like various problems in their lives was just amazing. And it's just, you know, the transformation and that you could see that they carried themselves with that self-respect. And this has all come through just this, you know, the bikes and the passion that they all had for them bikes. But you can do so much more with a little thing like that. And, you know, it's just a big movement now and it just does so much good work. That's and, all it takes is just that little just something into it, you know, it's like, I mean, I, like I spoke about my passion for rugby league, which comes from my dad, and I think that's a real big part, plays a big part in my kind of resilience and my outlook and, uh, you know, I've encouraged my boys to, to play. Uh, but, you know, within the community, we've just opened, we've just like been funded, we've got a brand new community rugby, rugby club, which I'm on the committee for, Salford Roosters, but that's going to be used as like a community hub as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of tying in. So, you know, we want to get, we're trying to open rugby, rugby league just used to be, you know, certain, you have to be a certain size, of, you know, to play. And it's not like that anymore. It's so mm-hmm. inclusive. And actually, it's, it, we're lifting the lid on that. We've got a, a ladies team and it's just, that's all it takes is someone to just yeah build it and they will come and, you know, yeah. kind of. Well, this is the thing, a little bit more support in those kind of areas and a little bit less commercial developments, you know, in, on public land and stuff. And I just think it, it could transform so much. I remember reading in the Rugby League paper, the Express one years ago now, but it opened a, a Rugby League similar to what you just described there, but in, in a rough part of London, I forget where. But I remember a few months later, it wasn't didn't take that long at all. I think it was eight weeks before it dropped, that the youth crime rates dropped from something like 80% to like 20%. I can badly paraphrase stat, but it was a dramatic reduction. And it, again, it was all because it wasn't just the playing on the pitch, it was the community, the elders, the the, the whole scene that yeah. went on around that club. Just give them something else to think about. Yeah, it's engagement. I mean, Freddie Flintoff, you know, that, that he's just done with the cricket up in Preston, that's just been on the TV, you know. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal because, you know, like he was saying, cricket, it's, a you know, 90% of the people who play cricket, males play cricket. They're all from uh, privately schooled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why is that? You know, because sports people come from wherever. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of lifting the lid on perception. Everything into it is just yeah. having opportunities. And I think that's what we do here, where I work. We give... We give children the chance to be children because they've, they've had to grow up so quick. Mm. So we take it, we scrape it right back, like the primary school stuff. We take them right back to where it probably all went a little bit wrong. Yeah. And we start again. And then we do the wraparound care stuff uh, with the arm around, with the sympathy, with the empathy. 
uh, you know, with relationships with parents as well. You know, we do everything so well. Mm. Uh, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit as a service, really, what, what we do do. Uh, and we get great, we do get great results. We have, you know, we have guys working here that are ex-gang members that have, you know, made wrong decisions in their lives that want to give back and do the right thing. And they're great role models yeah. to have around, you know. Equally is the person that's never chose that path. Do you know, uh, we have some great people who make great inroads with these boys. It's, fa it's fantastic. You know, you, you will have to, you'll have to put, definitely come and... Uh, see for yourself we have we have a reading group we have a lady that comes in every wednesday and she does a reading group now reading you know it's tough to get your kids to do most of the time but boys and they go into this reading group and they're like you don't get a peep out of them and they mm -hmm. take it in turns and the ones that can't read they'll get support uh and it's fabulous it's yeah. absolutely fabulous so there's lots lots of things going on uh yeah. And it's just giving children that would never have got that opportunity or that chance to try things. Yeah. Uh, I think that's magic. I think um, there's a, there, it's interesting about the family thing. I was going to ask you about that, you know, whether the, the, the you know, whether you have that dialogue. I know it's probably not always going to be possible depending on the family, but I imagine where possible that you do you do you like do you have those, you know, do you have dialogue with the families of the people? Yeah, we do. Yeah. A lot of the, you know, it, it, They still have contact with the family, you know, it's uh, unless there's, there's reasons why they can't, uh, but they still have contact. So it's really important to us. It's not for us to make that judgment, like it's not for us to judge the young person that comes through the door. You know, they've done what they've done. They've got the sentence. Now it's for us to work on what, what we've got here and now. And it's a bit the same with the parents. Yes, I might think, well, you know, you should have done better. Yeah. Uh, but but what, what we actually do as well is we kind of reinforce what good parenting is. Yeah. So you slowly see these children that we work with start to look at us and think, oh, is that how it should have been? You know, the light bulb goes on. So we don't, you know, we might know that the mum and dad have not been the best and abused drugs or, you know, but we never say that. We, we yeah. never, we just, we just build relationships and work as well as we can. Yeah. Uh, but, but the kids quickly pick up on the fact that when the light starts to go on on our care should be. Yeah. And that and it's interesting that because, you know, what's, what's this gets passed down generation after generation, doesn't it? You know, if, if someone five generations ago had really bad parenting, maybe they didn't know how to parent, so then they didn't know how to parent. It's like it lands five yeah, generations. It's just learned behaviour. So learn yeah, so if you can't work with the, the, the elders of them, the people that you're directly dealing with, then it's a big dropped ball, you know, so I guess that's crucial too. So when we do some of the interventions work, we do bring the parents in. So if there's a need for it, we will do that. Uh, you know, we we get all walks of life. So we'll get the, we'll get the parents who just couldn't give two hoops and not bothered, uh, yeah. and they'll just come. It's quite superficial their visit. But then we we might get parents who are really you know you know generally devastated. You know, we, yeah. we you know we just we. We let them know that they're cared for and they're safe, and I think that's that's a big, uh, yeah. big thing. There's a there's a lovely story, and it's in. I don't know if you've ever read um, Ben Ryan's book Seven 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 Rugby Rugby Seven Union, 
it's incredible story and uh, we've had a chat about this before I think. Yeah, i'm yeah. always banging on about it yeah so i would have mentioned it to you but there's a lovely story in that where in like Fiji, I think in Fijian culture, I think it's called Talanoa, and it's it's like a really open, honest chat with families, basically, to kind of address issues. And when Ben took over, like there's a player called Jerry Tawai who was really young at the time, I think 17, 18, and he'd already had one crack at the international setup, and the coach had kind of binned him off because he was, you know, misbehaving, not training properly, and even though he had all this amazing ability and flair. And Ben sort of brought him back into the fold and wanted to try and find, get to the bottom of why this was the case. So when he got there and took over the job, he, he really got into the Fijian culture and, and left everything he'd learned at like, Twickenham behind and because it was totally different. So he would go around and see all the families and have this open chat, this Talanoa. And he said when it, what he did was because there was no, the RFU there had gone bust when he took over. He'd not got his contract. He was working under like a military dictator and a convicted murderer as his bosses. It was just this crazy scenario. So what he did with, with no budget, he took him out to these, uh, what they called Sigatoa sand dunes, big really tall peaks barefoot training on there for like agility and everything else and early on he found jerry hiding in the bushes at the bottom so he didn't have to like run up the inclines so instead of kicking him out he said right come on i'm gonna do it i'm gonna give you a lift home we're gonna go and have talanoa with your with your with your parents so he found out he lived in this like really poor kind of shanty town and these shacks and everything but loving family and he worked with his dad fishing on a roundabout basically diving all day and then going and selling the fish on the roundabout so from that he learned that hard work was not the issue he was not adverse to hard work he just hadn't made the connection between that and his rugby um so he went and talked to his family and he found out that he did this jerry had gone to his family and said this is my dream i want to be a rugby player uh, i'm good at it and so they'd gone with that food for a week to save up for a pair of boots yeah. And when they gave him to him, they said, right, this is, this left boot is your knife, this right boot is your fork. Now you have to go out and make good on this and provide for the family because we've given you this trust. Um, so he knew work, you know, work ethic wasn't the problem. So anyway, he had this chat with his family, he told him what was what, that he thought he had a real opportunity to be one of the best. Um, and through that kind of dialogue and everything, he got him right on track, found his triggers about why he wasn't working hard, turned things around. He's gone on to win like Olympic gold twice. He's one of the best sevens players has ever been and all this stuff. And I just, I adore stories like that. And yeah. Jerry went and painted on the bottom of his boots, knife and fork to this day, he has that on the bottom of his boots. And it's just yeah. like, I love that. But um, I just find that family dialogue and that whole thing about how it takes a village to raise a child really pertinent and lacking in society you know yeah, and it probably goes back to what we were saying with regards to commu community and how things you know everything's such on a big scale that like things get lost yeah um, so yeah it's we like what we do here we strip we strip that right back we have really small you know small groups of young people and it's wrap around care and it's just Mm. The, the end results are, are brilliant because of that kind of community multi-agency working that goes on mm. uh, that that you you will fight tooth and nail in the community uh to get uh, yeah. which is, it's quite sad but yeah I, I love stories like that as well i've got i've got tons of them <laughs> i bet you have yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah i mean you know it's just i, I just I, I wish and i hope that moving forward because there's so many of these stories that we all have and all these organizations doing great work there needs to, i don't know there needs to be a, a circular economy where all this is taken into account and it's and it's woven and better into societies because i just think the possibilities are endless if that was the case and hopefully yeah. from the work that people like yourself are doing that we, we might start to see that moving forward 
Yeah, it's like it's like you get a lot, lots of the kids, you know, in the community, they have what's called EHCP plans, which are like an education health plan uh, that identifies additional needs that a young person might have. And with that, they'll get an element of support. So that comes with kind of a government funding where, you know, that child will get X amount of, you know, assisted, you know, assistance with a teaching support. But the reality is, we're probably going to have a, a whole, you know, so many kids with these plans, but there isn't the the means. It, you know, you can have this plan in place that says you can get an extra 20 hours support. But if it's not the people or the time or the provision to provide it, they're not going to get it. And mm-hmm. if you've not got a parent that can really fight for that, you, you're struggling. So these community groups that can come in and do these extras, and let these kids spread the wings and try different things. Like you say, that's all it takes is that one little, yeah, I one little I, magic. I just wish there was a way to get like you know replicate yourself and people doing as good a job as you are doing, and and have them in you know primary schools as consultants for the kids who were up to no good. Yeah. Because if you, if you dress if you address that at four, five, six years old, surely that's going to save. So you know, obviously governments and that think economically but surely that's going to save so much budget in later years by well, having, I, you know i worked i worked with looked after children before i worked in this job i was working with looked after children in the community and although it's against their rights their youth their rights i just think to myself if i could have took all them children that i worked with all them years ago and brought them into a building like this and kept kept them safe and secure i know the outcome for them would have been far greater than it was yeah. Not for all of them, but for the majority of them, having been a looked after child within the community. Because mm. we take away the social media, the access to the... It, it's, we strip it back bare so that they can just be what they need to be. Whereas, yeah. you know, and it's fabulous. It's fabulous to see. Yeah, I was going to say, because so, uh, social media, I think, is uh, such... A negative thing in that regard in that if you're a child who's not had any life skills no kind of adult guidance and suddenly you're presented with this idea of success with none of the tools to assess that for yourself and see through the the bs it, um that's so dangerous you know they get this false idea of life with no means to reach those goals that they're setting themselves i just think an envy and looking at other kids you know it's just so toxic and so distracting from those fundamental skills there's, there's lots of things that, you know, that kind of, oh God, we could go into everything, the music, some of the, they listen to, we could go, you know, I, you know, I love all types of music, but, you know, when you, you're listening to certain genres of music where it's talking about, you know, abusing women and mm. it's swearing and on like aggression and you've got, you've got kids listening to it's just it can go on and on and on can't it then you know that's it it's all about always in those instances it's always about the early life skills and equipping them with the filters isn't it which only comes with work that you're doing and that good parents (laughs) provide it's but there we go i mean it's a massively complex issue isn't it but uh, let's hope that you know but yeah you should definitely Get in touch because we we obviously put these work lots of workshops and things and we're always looking yeah. at new ideas and new things to deliver to these young people. We've got you know we've got a music room here. We've got all the facilities, so everything everything can be done. Awesome. And is there so if someone's listening to this and they might have an idea of approaching on the same level, is that where would the best place be for them to contact you? Uh, 
Well, they can contact me directly, Ben, if you want to pass them over my yeah. my details. That that's not a problem, yeah. Okay, well, I'll I'll put that I'll put that in the monologue when I record my bit. Then I'll I'll yeah. say to, I'll say to contact me and I'll connect them with you. Then if it's, if I think yeah. it's something. Thank you so much to my guests who joined me on today's show to talk candidly about the work in the Secure Children's Institute because if we could just harness some of that energy, some of those. Um, skills that are not taught in schools that in my opinion are undervalued about finding different forms of intelligence that are not just academic about growing humans that feel like they've got a future feel like they've got purpose and can trust adults and can go into society and business think on their feet and think for themselves then we'd be in a much better society and we would have a lot more unity and we could turn that to the big crises, the climate crisis, the cost of living crisis, and we could find better solutions with creativity and engagement and, um, you know, imagination. So I hope you got something uplifting out of that. I certainly did. Thank you to the founding supporter of the show, Illustration X. Go and check them out and all their portfolios over at illustrationx.com. Hit them up on social. We are Illustration X. Get in touch at Ben Talon or at Ben Talon Pod. Um, I check out Ben Talon a little bit more often than at Ben Talon Pod, but I'm there on both. Drop me an email, hello at bentalon.com if you'd rather do it privately, that's fine. Um, suggest some shows. Who do you want to hear from? Have you got something cool to talk about on the show? Because I'm always up for people inviting themselves on the show. Don't be so modest. Come at me. Um, we've got Dan Kieran coming up, writer and founder, co-founder of Unbound, wonderful crowd-funded publisher who are still going strong all these years later. Who else have we got coming up? Um, da, 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 da. Adelaide Damoa is going to come on the show. Awesome cross-disciplinary artist. I'm talking to Ollie Hurst. Uh, Ollie will be... A, I'm going to talk to Ollie Hurst this afternoon if you're listening to this show on the day of release. Wonderful illustrator. We're going to talk about why editorial illustration cannot sustain people's careers as illustrators like it once could and why it's really important that we broaden out you know into different markets and see different uses for our skills and push for more sustainability in our own individual careers as freelance illustrators so that's one for you illustrators i know i don't look after you like i once did because well the show has gone broader than it than it once was that's what i can say but there we have it i'm not gonna ramble any further Cheers for checking in, guys. Um, it's been an emotional one today. I hope you uh, have got some good comments to come back to me with. Have a great week. It's been a big emotional show today. I hope you're going to carry that energy forward into your week and have a good one. Stay positive. Get me your thoughts. Take care, guys. Oh, lastly, I never say this enough, but if you get the time, please do subscribe, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to do that wherever you get your show and please if you get a second drop me a review it really helps that's how you can support the show for free thank you guys take care and i'll see you soon